to distribute the clappers and bells on the rows this year rather than hand them out. We didn't know the music that Barb would play and the team would lead us in, but it was wonderful. It couldn't have been a better fit. So um, thank you. And Kate, I think about your definition of singing that you used a couple of weeks ago, and it just seems like we're singing in, in the way you define singing. So thank you for that, all of you. This morning kicks off um, Marathon Sunday, and uh, we're just delighted to have all of you here with us this morning. Um, the, the morning will go like this. We have eight persons who are going to share, and we'll introduce them in a moment. And after we introduce them and they come forward, while they're coming forward, we want you to clap. Use your clappers, use your bells. Let's make a big deal of this, all right? Um, we're so thankful for their coming. And then each couple will share. They've got about, I don't know what I said, six, six, seven to eight minutes. So um, I'm good. Eight to, ten, eight to ten minutes, and so we'll be kind of watching them because um, we want everyone to be able to share. And then we will have a big celebration after that that will follow that Heidi will lead. And so we're going to begin by introducing um, Austin Byler. So Austin, would you come on up? Austin. Austin. Austin Byler grew up in Allensville in Big Valley. He graduated from Messiah College and lives in Harrisburg. Um, lives in Mid Middletown. He works for BB&T uh, and now the Truest Commercial Group. He's a member of the Lower Swatera Volunteer Fire Company. He loves the New York Yankees, San Francisco 49ers, and Penn State football. And he loves going to New York City and skiing. Thank you, Austin, for joining us. Maintaining a very fast-paced life of working 60-plus hours a week along with ministry and church commitments, the news that cancer had spread into her lungs in March 2019 brought life as Sonia knew it to a screeching halt. In July, she needed to stop working altogether. She reports that one blessing of this slower pace of life has been having time for hobbies. She had hobbies she had as a child and teenager, reading, sewing, and baking bread. We may not always be able to say amen, but we can clap. <laughs> All right, um, our next couple, Roy and Esther Wirt. Roy and Esther. Roy and Esther both grew up on farms and were taught early how to help with chores. Esther had eight siblings, and her social life revolved around family, church, and neighbors. She attended two elementary schools and then attended LMS. Roy was born in Juniata County and had four siblings. He walked one mile with his two older brothers to a one-room one schoolhouse where he was the only first grader. Later in first grade, the family moved to East Earl Township, and he attended Blue Ball School. He was happy to attend LMS, where, of course, a loving relationship with Esther began. Thank you. After months of working up courage, Dawn finally asked Marilyn for a date their senior year of high school. The date was set for a Sunday evening during which Marilyn would be presenting a program with her gospel team at Risser's Mennonite Church. That Sunday morning, Dawn, Dawn saw a friend who told him he had a date with Marilyn Saturday night. Dawn thought, okay, this should be interesting. <laughs> that evening, as Dawn watched Marilyn's gospel team program, he wasn't sure where he stood with her. 
But as the program went on, Marilyn and her group sang the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. She seemed to be singing it to Dawn. <laughs> Marilyn flatly denies this. Actually, Marilyn had predetermined to give Dawn three dates and then move on. But in verse 5 of this hymn, it says, Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. When Don heard this, he knew the Lord was working in mysterious ways. One date with pizza shared with her brothers after the program grew into 38 years of wonderful marriage. John and Susan Simpkins. John and Susan. John and Susan were married in late 2018, having been brought together in God's time. They divide their time between the country house in Hershey and the college house in State College. John is a financial advisor and Susan is a professor at Penn State. They enjoy traveling together, spending time with their children and now their new grandchild, and learning to blend their culinary preferences. They enjoy stargazing, hiking, and sitting in front of the fireplace. Let's hear it up, give it up for John and Susan. Thank you, everybody. We're just going to turn this over to our panel, and um, they're going to each share, and then um, we'll have a response song from Barb and her team, and then we'll have our celebration of the marathon. We're going to start with, the, uh, with Austin and go around this direction. Um, all right, so when I think of uh, God's faithfulness, um, one of the first things that comes to mind is uh, is that he led me here uh, to this church. So during college and, and after college, um, I struggled to find um, a place to go um, to church. Uh, sometimes I wouldn't go at all. Um, sometimes I'd go to West Shore Evangelical Free Church, you know, and there I could just, you know, kind of walk in and walk out without anybody saying hi or anything like that. Um, so it's been a, a real blessing coming here. Um, also, um, his faithfulness has um, successfully took me through uh, three bank mergers um, and several uh, restructurings in between. Um, and so, and I guess it was um, in May and June, I think of 2018, I took the Discovering Who God Created uh, Me to Be class. Um, and in May of 2018 is when I also uh, finished the Leadership Harrisburg class, which um, one of the focuses was on volunteering um, in the community. And from those experiences, I felt um, a calling to do more, uh, to be more active. Um, and one of the ways I thought I could use uh, my gifts was to be a treasurer for a nonprofit or, or something similar. Um, and so Leadership Harrisburg sends out a, a monthly email with volunteer and, and board opportunities. Um, one of the organizations was looking for a treasure, and I thought about reaching out. Um, but I didn't, um, and it was there the, the next month, but I felt God saying, no, um, not right now. Um, so just kind of dropped the idea for a while. Um, and then it was about a year later, um, I was asked to consider being the treasurer for the church. Um, and almost immediately and without thinking, I said, yes, you know, I'll, I'll consider it. 
And um, going through the interview process um, and all of that, I felt like God was leading me to do that. Um, it's a pretty, pretty easy decision. So, you know, looking back, not sh- I'm not sure why God's timing was the way it was. Um, maybe it was to teach me some patience. Um, you know, and, and also it was shortly after that, um, I was asked to be the, the treasurer for, for the district. Um, I initially said no, but um, a few weeks later, you know, I told Nelson I, I would. Um, and I guess something else that I, I do, so I mentioned to the treasurer at the firehouse that I wasn't going to run for re-election for the first vice president position um, at the end of last year. And he said he wasn't going to run for the treasurer position and asked if, if I would do it. So, um, so I did. So, that's, <laughs> so within the past six months or so, I've, I've gotten really busy um, and stuff. So it's been an interesting journey, um, seeing how everything is, has come together. Um, you know, I almost moved to North Carolina about three years ago when, when BB&T bought um, Susquehanna. Um, and again, with this recent merger, again, there was an opportunity to move to, to several different places. Um, but I felt like, like this is where God wants me to be um, right now. And just, it was just interesting to see how everything came together. Um, so this month we've been, oh, go ahead. When we started eight years ago, I said I would never complain about children making noise. So I'm not complaining. I'm just saying maybe as our folks are sharing, if you could just kind of keep the damper on the clappers and bells. Thank you so much. So we've been focusing um, this month in February about God's re- design for relationships. And I'm going to share a little bit about um, what it's been like to be a single in this congregation and just in my life in general. Um, so, yes, God has many calls on people's lives. Um, some are called to be single. Some are called to be married. And to not do one or the other is actually rebellion against God. Um, and it can lead to a lot of dissatisfaction and pain. So it's important to note that God may call us to both marriage and singleness in the same lifetime. Um, and the secret in whatever stage you are is to be content and at that moment to glorify him. Neither state is more godly than the other. So as a child, um, I assumed, as most children do, that I would be married someday. And I think that idea comes from children often having a desire to be like the adults in their life, and most of those are married. Um, so at age 16, um, I was actually the first in my family to, start the, um, to enter the dating season, uh, scene, and I had no intention, though, of getting married until uh, right out of high school because I wanted to do missions and travel. Um, During a few days of debriefing after my first missions trip, um, I can remember God giving me a clear sense that I was to be involved in missions, but not overseas. And I have to say I was really disappointed with God, because I love to travel, I loved other cultures, um, but I was also very grateful for clarity from God about my direction for life. So the summer before my senior year, uh, my boyfriend at the time went out of state to college, And so we decided, despite my many tears, um, that we were going to end our dating relationship and pursue God's call in our lives, individually. I had several other dates throughout my senior year in high school, um, but no committed relationships. Then after graduating, um, I worked for my father in the business for a year, 
and was involved in youth ministry at Rainbow's End Youth Center in Mount Joy. Eventually, I joined an EMM short-term missions program called School of Witness, and that took me to Baltimore and New York City. Um, during my work at an after-school program in New York City, I felt clear direction that I was supposed to return to Pennsylvania and go to Millersville University. And there, I was going to study education, uh, special education and be involved in a cell-based church that was student-led there on campus. So for the next three years, um, I poured my life into my education, leading, small, leading cell groups in the campus and discipling college students. I continued to develop many deep, meaningful relationships with both guys and girls um, during that time, but I didn't pursue any dating. And occasionally, I would have that desire to date, but then I would think, where in the world would I find time? I was so busy investing in all the other ministry opportunities that God had for me. Um, again, then, after graduating from college, I dated a bit. However, I felt strongly that anyone I dated needed to be aware that there was a call to ministry on my life. I wasn't going to just marry because I was afraid of um, being a single person and in my late 20s. So I did date for, um, someone for about a year. However, when I sought God um, about that relationship and whether it would go to marriage, I got a very clear no as an answer. Um, at times, I would try to get involved in social groups, you know, to meet somebody. Um, but they often left me feeling unfulfilled. I would rather hang out on a Friday night at the local youth center, you know, ministering to other people. So finally, I said to God, you know what? If I'm supposed to get married, you're going to have to send them into the ministry place where I am because I'm tired of doing all that social thing. I was convinced, and I still am, that if marriage is part of God's design for my life, that he would bring someone with um, a similar life calling where we could minister together. And I strongly believe that uh, marriage should only increase your effectiveness to God's call on your life individually rather than hinder it. So what have been some benefits for me in being single? I have found that God is the lover of my soul. Because I don't have a spouse, God has become like a husband to me. Um, I don't have a spouse to consult about decisions, so I still have God, and I'll talk to him about things. He also has been able to fill my emotional cup um, to overflowing as well, just like any other human friendship could. I can remember several times in my life where I've had encounters with God that have left me so full of joy that people actually came up to me and said, what guy did you meet this weekend, Sonia? And, you know, I'd sit there and I'd think about it, and then I was like, well, the only guy I met this weekend was Jesus. Um, that was the reason that there was this kind of light in my eye and beam in my face. So, as a single person, I've been able to pursue God's call to missions without any hindrance that many married people may experience due to commitments to children and family. I have the flexibility to stay up late or get up early. And should I suddenly be called to go to a different um, area or location, um, I can, you know, quickly move on without feeling about, you know, how's that going to affect my kids or how's that going to affect my spouse? One story about how singleness has opened up ministry opportunities for me is aptly told by one of my former uh, roommates. She first met me at a safe house event for individuals with a history of occult ritual abuse. She reported to me later that she was listening that evening to see if I was going home to my husband because she felt strongly that she wanted to live with me. 
within four months, she learned that I was single and that I was looking for a roommate. So over the past 20 years, I've um, been able to provide a safe living place for four other single women. And we've also lived in community, you know, just sharing lives together. And I sure couldn't have done that if I was married and raising children during that time. So is single life, life all wonderful? No, it has its challenges, just like marriage life has its challenges. One big challenge is finding meaningful relationships where I can be accountable to other people. Um, this has been essential for me throughout my life. Some of the places that I found these meaningful relationships are in small group Bible studies or friendships within my ministry pursuits or prayer partners that I've um, intentionally met with on a monthly basis. I have found that it's been essential for me to seek out these relationships because they don't just present themselves readily. Another challenge that I found is being misunderstood because of my contentment with being single. In our culture, which promotes the lie that you can't have intimacy without having sexual contact, people sometimes think that because I've lived with other single women that I must be homosexual or bisexual. Um, I can testify, though, that contrary to the world's message, one can still have very close, meaningful, non-sexual relationships with both male and female people um, and still be very fulfilled as a single person. So being single and now in my late 40s, I've been learning more about being secure and spending time alone. Our society doesn't um, have a lot of social activities for individuals in my age group. So finding meaningful connections with peers can be a challenge um, for many people, those who are single or maybe have found themselves single again during this stage of life. Because many of our peers are very busy with teenagers or young adult children. So I'm finding that I can better understand other people's struggles with feeling alone. This has given me opportunities to walk alongside of other people who have maybe gone through divorce or a death of a spouse, um, and the pains of separation that can come with that. So I can share with them that the, ho the hope that life without a significant other can be full of purpose and meaning, a message that isn't widely shared in our society. So to all you young adults who are exploring God's call in your life right now, pursue God with all your heart. He is the lover of your soul. He has good things for you, and whether you're married or single, he has purpose for you. Both stages of life are very wonderful callings, and they're full of lots of fun. Don't fall into the trap for settling, less than God, for, settling for less than God's plan for you because you're scared that his plan is going to leave you unfulfilled. And to all of you who have found yourself suddenly single again, Remember that God is still with you. He walks closely with you, even when you're experiencing pain. And he wants to show you purpose in your life, even through that difficult uh, transition. And to those of you who feel dissatisfied in your current state of life, whether you're married or single, stop looking at the grass on the other side of the fence and thinking that it's greener than yours and dreaming that other people have it better than you. This is only going to lead to discontentment and steal away the joy that God desires to give you. 
Be faithful to God's call on your life right now. God is a good shepherd. He will not leave you wanting as you follow him. Marriage is created by God. Marriage is a relationship between two imperfect people. Therefore, the challenge. 1 Corinthians 13 describes the most important aspects of a successful relationship. Love, of course, is the most important, but how is it shown to each other? For us, respect and trust are important ways to show love. The positive experiences you have together form a firm foundation for the difficult times that will come. Ask, what can I do today <clears throat> excuse me, to share our love? Small acts of kindness add up. Ne negative acts add up also. One of the things I appreciate very much is that Roy thanks me for preparing dinner and helps clean up after the meal. There are many opportunities in marriage to show grace. Work for the happiness of your spouse. We have found that a great way to demonstrate our love is by trusting each other. Since I was required to give my earnings to my parents until the age of 20, after we married, Esther was willing to share her savings to purchase a house trailer and work while we attended Eastern Mennonite College. During med school, she supported us by working at the university. After my training, I was able to help her in obtaining her bachelor's degree and master's degree. By supporting each other, we reached our goals. Her trust continued during my practice. She never questioned my faithfulness when I called home after she had prepared a delicious meal and I told her that I would be late because I had an emergency case. How could I betray such trust? I could trust because Roy earned it by being true to his word. Trust is something we need to earn. The best gift you can give to your children is a strong Christian marriage. Sharing your interests, talents, and hobbies helps develop the team spirit. Even though our children are adults now, the time spent with them and their families is very important and enjoyable to us. I can't tell you how many of our grandchildren's sports activities, theater, and choir programs we have attended, but each one was time well spent. We shared the responsibility of our children I will never forget the evening in Ethiopia when the phone rang, calling me to an emergency in the hospital, and Esther was working on her lesson to teach English to the nursing students the next morning when Glenda, at the age of three, began crying in frustration, saying, Daddy, I wanted to play snap with you. Now both mommy and you are busy and I have no one to play with. Esther quickly assured Glenda that she would play with her, even though it meant she would get to bed late like I would. Serving at the hospital in Nazareth, Ethiopia, 
led to one of our greatest trials in faith. Dr. Roy Eshelman and family were leaving for home and took us to visit the local officials, which included meals in their homes. About a week later, their son Rodney and I became jaundiced. Uh, two weeks later, Rodney was cleared to go home, but I became worse. Dr. Eshman advised that I stay at bed rest until my jaundice cleared, but mine continued to get worse. Dr. Paul T. Yoder had not arrived to replace Dr. Eshman, and that evening, and then one evening, while I had been at bed rest, I received a call from the hospital that a lady had arrived with a ruptured uterus and was in severe shock. She was too unstable to send on to Addis, so I went out and performed a C-section, but was too weak to uh, close the wound. Sitting on a chair, I directed the nurses how to close and finish the operation. The next morning, Paul Gamerick, the mission director, arrived at our door. He said, Roy, you're not indispensable. We're taking you to the hospital in Addis, which was run by Seventh-day Adventist physicians from Loma Linda, Loma Linda University. After some blood work, they said that I had to be admitted, but they had no beds. So they placed me on a gurney for two days in a back hall until an isolation room opened. There I lay for four weeks, sucking sugar balls and trying to eat spaghetti while severely nauseated. At nighttime, the hyenas would come into the city to eat the garbage and growl while fighting with each other. I don't know if you ever heard a hyena growl, but it sounds very much like laughing, and I thought the devil was laughing at me for serving there. Esther and Glenda stayed at the guest house. Esther, who was pregnant, could come and visit me each day and give me encouragement, but I could not see Glenda or experience her sloppy kisses. I would place my hand on Esther's abdomen to feel Carolyn's kick, wondering if I would ever be able to hold her in my arms. After four weeks at Addis, one morning I heard knocking outside my door. I heard talking outside my door, followed by a knock on which I offered an invitation for them to come in. It was my doctor and Paul Gamerick, the mission manager. Paul had tears on his cheeks and placed his arms around me and said, Roy, your doctor and I were just talking. There's nothing else that can be done. It is time to go home. I thought he meant my heavenly home, but then he said they are making plans for us to fly home while I still had the strength left to travel. They had two cortisone pills left in the hospital, which they would give me to aid my strength. I gave thanks that I would at least get a chance to hold Glenda on the plane. But I questioned why God, who would care for the spires, did not seem to be caring for me. Before we departed Ethiopia, Dr. Es Lester Eshelman, who had been a missionary doctor serving in Kenya, heard of our situation. 
he was taking a urology residency at Graduate Hospital, the University of Pennsylvania. He talked to the chief of medicine, who incidentally was my chief resident when I was, uh, uh, during my senior year in uh, medical school at University of Pennsylvania, and he remembered me. He strongly recommended that they transfer me there to Graduate Hospital. We arrived at the airport, Philadelphia airport on July 3rd, 1968, where an ambulance was waiting for me on the tarmac and took me to the hospital. Dr. Roar Eshman was waiting at the hospital for me, and he had a book signed by Dr. Henry Kreider. He was the Brethren in Christ uh, uh, physician, I think, in East Petersburg. And he had a note inside a book stating that the doctors at LGH were praying for me. I had done my internship at LGH. At the graduate hospital, I received a new drug, cholesteramine, which bound up the bile salts and took away the severe itching. They also fed me proteins to permit the liver to repair itself without overloading. Christian family support was felt by Esther and Glenda by being able to stay with Dr. Clarence and Helen Root. Clarence was taking a pediatric surgery fellowship with Dr. Coop at Children's Hospital. When Esther visited me, the volunteers would keep Glenda in the waiting room. On departing and walking up the street, Esther would turn and show Glenda where the window of my room was. And I would receive new uh, uh, strength by, having, by seeing Glenda waving up to me with a smile on her face. After four weeks, my health and faith in God was restored and removed to an apartment in Salonga owned by the mission board. While waiting for Carolyn to be born and old enough to travel, I assisted Dr. Davidson at LGH, gaining more experience in surgery. He donated my pay to the mission board while the mission board continued to give us our stipend. We returned to Ethiopia when Carolyn was five weeks old and Glenda, a proud older sister, at the age, was at the age of three. We now thank God for his wonderful care. People have asked how I maintain my faith while studying this in the secular world. Studying the, human, studying the human body increased my faith as I observe God's wonderful creation. We Christians have nothing to be ashamed of. I do not remember any time that I was criticized for my faith. Some of you served in one W or voluntary service in mental hospitals. It was interesting to hear the chief of psychiatry state during a lecture that your love and compassion changed the manner in which the mentally ill patients are now treated. Uh, we are going to be sharing about an experience that happened in our lives uh, about 20 years ago, about this time of year, and um, affected our relationship and our lives drastically. 
I would describe myself as a very private person. From my younger years through adulthood, I've been very reluctant to share information about myself. Even with friends and family, I tend to keep my emotions, thoughts, and struggles to myself. I was slash am the type of person who, if asked how I was doing, would answer fine, and then would quickly reverse the subject of the conversation back to the other party or to another topic. I'm not sure why I was this way, maybe because I was unsure as to how people would respond to me. Maybe I didn't feel safe sharing about my feelings, emotions, etc. It wasn't that I didn't enjoy relating to others. I did, but just not about myself. Most times, instead of involving others with my challenges, struggles, and feelings, I would internalize them and deal with them myself. It was my nature. It was how I dealt with life. So I went on dealing with life's experiences this way through the years. Marilyn and, and me had a good relationship, and we would converse and communicate about many things. Marilyn would occasionally express to me a desire for deeper communication and sharing. She wanted to share and be a part of my deeper feelings, joys, struggles, etc. It wasn't so much that I didn't want deeper communication and sharing with her, I appreciated when she would share deeply with me, but I struggled as to how to do it. Also, I'm sure pride might have held me back from sharing my struggles as well. About 20 years ago, out of nowhere, a situation came into my life that totally blindsided me. It was something that I was not prepared for in any way, shape, or form. It shook me to the very core like nothing had ever done before. Without going into much detail, it was a situation involving my employment. There was a very real possibility that within a few months, I would not have a job. It was a situation that was totally out of my control. I know that some of you have been through loss of employment for one reason or another and have handled it very well, but for me, this was something that I was totally unprepared for and did not know how to handle. In a short period of time, I found myself struggling with strong feelings of anxiety. What was I going to do? This was a family business, and it was all I ever worked at ever since I was a kid. Also, like many family businesses, it is unique. I was valuable to our unique business, but I did not have the skills or experience I could transfer to another job. I had no formal education or training for another line of work and I was supporting a young family. I didn't know what to do. I felt alone, helpless, and felt myself becoming desperate. Now, there are numerous individuals who played a role in helping me through this experience, and I thank and appreciate each one. And of course, God taught me some lasting truths and strengthened my faith. But for this discussion, since we are focusing on marriage relationships, I want to focus on the person who stood by me and helped me the most. And of course, that would be my wonderful wife, Marilyn. When this situation became apparent, as usual, I internalized my feelings. This had served me well in the past, and so I felt I could deal with this situation and not have to become vulnerable to another person, even my wife. But this time, it was different. 
I soon realized I could not handle this myself. I felt myself slipping and felt out of control with anxiety about the future for me and our family. Marilyn sensed this and saw what was happening to me. She encouraged me to talk about it. She was not pushy, but left me know that she was concerned and was available to listen. She did not judge me and let me know that she understood why this was affecting me so deeply. So slowly, I started sharing with her, sharing my insecurities, my anxiety, my fears, and my sense of aloneness. I shared my concerns as to how this would affect me, mentally, emotionally, physically, and in turn, how it would affect our family and our children. Was there a way out? It looked pretty bleak to me. What was God saying in all this? And so I slash we talked and talked in ways that I slash we never had before. Marilyn gave me a listening ear, support, never demeaning me in my struggle, but at the same time challenging me. I'm sure she heard me going over the same things, thoughts, and questions till she knew them by heart and knew what I was going to say before I said it. And she was also graciously willing to get a part-time job to help ease the potential financial burden. The situation was eventually resolved, but I still feel I carry some battle scars to this day. I would rather not want to go through an experience like this again, but I do, write, but I do realize that God taught me some valuable lessons through it. And the battle scars are there to remind me of those lessons. One of the lessons I learned is that it is important and necessary to be fully engaged in our relationship. We hear a phrase that goes like this, he or she is not only my friend or spouse, but they are my soulmate. We all want somebody that we can call our soulmate. What I had to learn the hard way was that to have a soulmate, I needed to be willing to share my soul. Why it took me 20 years to figure this out is beyond me. But learning to share my soul with Marilyn was not only a blessing to me, but it also allowed her to fulfill her role in our relationship. If I didn't share with her, how was she supposed to be able to fulfill her commitment and calling to our relationship. By not sharing, I was denying her the opportunity to fulfill God's calling on her life as my wife and soulmate. Now, just in case you're wondering, I have not arrived. I am a work in progress. I still tend to be a fairly private person, and that's okay. But I have come to realize that in relationships, especially marriage, I cannot hide behind that. I need to be willing to share my deepest thoughts, feelings, etc., with Marilyn. And this is for my good, for Marilyn's good, and ultimately for the good of our relationship. 
In response to that, I'm going to share just a few things that I've learned through this experience with Don and how God used this to make our love for each other deeper. Although the possibility of Don losing his job was not as devastating to my personhood, it still affected me very much. I was also anxious, fearful, and I had a lot of anger. My husband was so committed to providing for his family, and he worked very hard. Why did it have to be handled this way? But as I saw what it was doing to him, I had to lay aside my feelings and be a support for him. At that point, support meant encouraging him to talk and a lot of listening. And listening without fixes. He didn't want to hear things like, you'll get another job and maybe you'll like it better. Or maybe God's leading you into a different career. They were not helpful at that point. I did a lot of praying for him and with him. Don't let God, conversation with God, out of these situations. It's very important. As he said, our family was still fairly young, but I had to be very intentional about not letting the children's needs take away from supporting my husband. It meant getting childcare more than usual for a period of time, or setting the children up with something to occupy them for a period of time because Don needed me now. It was important that I honor him in who I told what we were going through. In my pain, it would have been easy to call up friends and unload to them. But as I supported him, I realized this was more to him than losing a job. This was a threat to who he was, his very core, and it had a huge impact on his self-confidence and how he felt about himself. Don felt one of his highest callings in life was to support his family, provide for them, and that ability now felt threatened. So it was important to him that not just anybody and everybody knew this situation at that time. But I will say I wasn't isolated. As Don mentioned, we did have people walking with us and they prayed for us and were very helpful. And I didn't do everything right. I remember saying some things that I thought might be constructive and might improve our relationship, but it was not the time or place. He was feeling very fragile, and it came across as judgmental. I needed to ask for forgiveness. As the situation unfolded, there were decisions that needed to be made, and I needed to allow him to take the lead in those decisions. He was much more vested in this and it was important that I didn't make decisions for him. Also, during this time, 
as Don uh, began to open up and share deeply with me, it felt good to be his soulmate. This is what you long for in a marriage relationship. But I wouldn't be honest if I said it was always easy. Probably most of us process pain and things by repeating the scenarios over and over, rehashing things over and over. So it required patience and understanding to listen over and over again and to support over and over again. As Don mentioned in the beginning, he tends to be a private person and not quick to share his feelings. I venture to say there's more marriages in this room that way. Maybe your spouse um, sounds just like this. It's hard to get them to open up. And you're longing for more communication in your marriage. I would just say... that realize their value. If you're the person who is more open and you're trying to get the other person to open up, realize their value. There's a lot of hidden treasure inside them. And finding ways to help them open up and share their deep feelings not only will enrich your marriage, but also help them to feel good about themselves. Now, just to be clear, I didn't say try to change their personality to be something God didn't design them to be. Remember, they are valuable just as God made them. So Conrad asked us to talk about our early season, how we came together, faithfulness of God, and looking ahead. Some of you may not know us. I was married before for 21 years. Susan has never been married. Susan grew up on the island of St. Thomas, and I grew up in Indiana, PA. Our faith walk is also different. I grew up Methodist and joined the Mennonite Church 20 years ago. Wow. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Susan attended the Assemblies of God, followed by a house church structure. When we met, our first conversation was on faith. The question was, spiritual but religious. Uh, what was it? I can't remember. I didn't write that part down. Spiritual but not religious. Spiritual, but not religious. That, was the, that was the first question. And so we have to think about how we, how we each came into this separately. And so after my divorce, I was, I was looking and we didn't meet till five years later. And so God was working on me to, to desire a strong woman of faith. God was working on Susan to prepare her for this relationship. 
we each had things that we were working on independently that we needed to get through before we ever met. As you can see, we came from two different worlds, and somehow God saw what we needed in each other. I refer to Susan as my gift from God. God knows what I need more than I do. He has placed all those things in Susan. When we started dating, I was asking myself, why am I dating this woman from State College? What does this look like? And the future, what's what's that going to be like? And all I know in that is that God has laid the path. He has built this walkway for me, and I need to choose whether to walk upon it or not. As you can see, I I chose to walk on it boldly because she would have no other way. But in that choice, I have never looked back and said, why did I do that? So as you think about this, this whole process of dating and marriage, it's about including God in the center. What does God have in store individually and then together? I also found out that our differences make us stronger. I have never felt so safe, free, and respected in any relationship I ever had. We have been intentional, shared each other's feelings, our weaknesses, and we ask each other for help in those areas. We've also been intentional about teaching each other our needs, especially for decompressing and relaxing, how to unwind after a stressful day. We've learned each other's love languages and what they value and why we value it. We have been intentional about meeting the needs and helping each other wherever needed. This level of safety and communication started with when we prayed together. As our prayer life together has grown, our understanding and trust has deepened. Our relationship can actually span miles. But praying together over the phone makes us each feel closer together as we're right beside each other. One of our goals has been to develop our our community building, is to develop our ministry together and separately. Our goals are different. I am more relational, building community. Susan wants to deepen your relationship with God. She's more happy to pray with you than cook you a meal. The other way around for me. Okay, guys, just saying. (laughs) Because we've taken the time to learn about each other, and we do it in different ways, and we process things differently for some reason, we have learned that when we let the other take leadership in the area that they're gifted in, amazing things happen. I have learned to pay attention when Susan says, we need to pray. 
for she is more in tune to the spiritual life than I am. And I find combining Ephesians 5.29 and Colossians 3.19 as a guide for me. He should do his best to nurture and cherish his wife in the love of Christ as he would his own flesh and tend to her spiritual, emotion, intellectual, and physical needs. Because if I take care of her more than I take care of myself, that's the call that Christ has put on me. Uh, from my end, um, I was never going to get married. Um, I had been convinced that the cost of marriage were, would far outweigh the benefits, and so I decided that that wasn't for me. Um, it was a decision that I made early in my adulthood, but it was based on fear, and I find that God, he goes after those areas in our lives that are based on fear because fear is the opposite of love, and he is love, and so he was constantly moving me trying to move me past that fear. Um, one of the things that I felt like God said early on when I started dating uh, John was, don't try to figure this out because you can't and you won't. Um, I did not listen, and so all I did was try to figure this out because it just completely made no sense to me. Uh, John is a concrete thinker. I'm an abstract thinker. Um, he uses as few words as possible. I try to use as many words as possible. Um, <laughs> uh, we're so different. We don't even live in the same um, place, you know, and then um, we differ. I, I didn't even know how we could even watch a movie together because I'm into documentaries and he's into sci-fi and fantasy. Uh, you know, it just didn't make any, any sense at all. And so all I did was harp on our differences. And I remember one of the things that John said uh, about a year after we had been dating, when I was again listing off all of our differences and saying, you know, how is this going to possibly work? How could we even peacefully coexist, much less be one? And I remember John saying, you know, do you realize that you're just saying the same thing that you did a year ago and it all has to do with how we fit, and maybe we just do. <laughs> and when he said those four words, maybe we just do, it just sort of landed in my heart, and I recognize it's just like this isn't about making sense of everything. It's, about, it's going to be about trust. It's going to be about faith. I'm not going to see how this is going to work, but I'm going to have to trust God that it does, and I'm going to have to trust John in the process as well, the trust you guys have talked about. Um, the movies that I thought that we could not even agree on, we ended up getting engaged on a movie set of a movie we did agree on, <laughs> Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Um, after 15 months of marriage, I am no closer to figuring anything out at all. Um, but what I can say is that uh, none of the fears that I had going into this have manifested, not one of them. I thought that John might stop pursuing me, because many men I read about do after the marriage. After they say those vows, they stop. And I think, if anything, he has worked harder um, after than before to, to pursue me. Uh, those differences that I harped on, many of them are turning out to be really complementary in a wonderful way. I have a history of depression. John is filled with joy, even in adversity. 
Um, I have a history of kind of being emotionally up and down, and John's stability, um, his steadiness uh, has been such a gift. And when he puts my needs above his own um, and gives to me sacrificially of himself, I can understand the love of the Father in a way that I never could before. And so far from my greatest fear of getting married, which was that I would look back and regret that I ever made that choice and that I would feel stuck and trapped, um, far from that, I have these various moments um, as we're sitting in front of the fireplace or uh, sitting outside watching the stars um, or even this very moment right now where here I am in a Mennonite church in Elizabethtown. <laughs> I didn't even know that place, this place existed before I got married, um, sitting here next to the love of my life. And I just thank God, you knew 10 years, 20 years ago, um, whatever, I mean, far before this ever happened, that this was going to be, this is what you had in plan, planned for me. Um, and I think about Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope, to expand your coast, which is what has happened since I've gotten married. He had all of this planned out way in advance, but I had to get past that fear and I had to learn to trust and to see that love is on the other side of the fear. Uh, we just want to say to each of you, thank you. This was a sacred space this morning. This was a really sacred moment. You, you were diligent in your prayer and in coming with sharing what God has done for you and, your fa and his faithfulness. But you made yourselves really vulnerable with us. You, op you opened up a space that goes on beyond this morning because you're giving us permission to be vulnerable with one another. And it's not until we're vulnerable with one another that we really can open ourselves to God. And that's what you've been saying to us. Donna Marilyn, until you were vulnerable, you couldn't open yourselves to each other. Um, and so you've created a space for us that will go on before this morning. So thank you for your faithfulness. Thanks for sharing for, with us. Thank you for your intentionality. And um, I would just like to pray for you this morning um, and to thank God for you and for your, the gift you gave us this morning. Lord God, we are grateful that heaven opened before us this morning and that your saints shared their stories of struggle and faithful, your faithfulness. Because that is indeed the story of your people throughout all of history. It's the story of each one of us. That we find ourselves in trouble and we cry out to you and you hear us. You respond to us. You are good and you are faithful. And we have heard that over and over and over again from each one of these stories, from each one of these individuals, that you have... You, you have been watching over them. You have been caring for them. That your eye is on the sparrow and your eye was, is and was and will be on each one of them. And God, I pray that in the only way that you can do it, that you would take their stories and you would root them within each of us. That you would root them within our families and our marriages and our individual lives to hear them echo throughout the week. Just to hear whatever it is that we need to hear from what they shared this morning, that it, would just, that it would just go into our heart even now. And if there's any resistance because we've said, well, I, I, don't, you know, I can't do that, or that's not me, or that's not my spouse, or whatever it is, 
I just pray that you would take that resistance away now. And there would just be a softness of our heart to your spirit to allow you to take the words of, 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 of our brothers and sisters, to take what they shared of their hearts,